You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Matthew 18, uh, starting at verse 21. These are the words. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, he brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity on him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. And when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he shall pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer, jail, jail, jailers, jailers, people in charge of the jail, until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of God. Pray with me. Lord, we, we come and we see this as your words. Uh, your words that are a gift to us that pay a really high tax that, man, the overflow of what you've done in us should be just this incredible forgiveness for one another. Lord, when I think about our world, I, man, we need forgiveness. We need to lay down the chains that we hold against people of what they've done. And we need to trust you, not because we trust in them, but we trust in you who can make all things right and can sustain all things. And so, Lord, I ask for the gift of forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would uh, dwell in our hearts and you would start to massage our hearts in such a way that we would long to forgive, uh, not just to honor you that you say to do it, not just to prove the validity of salvation inside of us, but to free our hearts that we might live in more freedom. And so, Lord, would your Holy Spirit give us the ability to forgive and that, would, that we could forgive husbands and wives and we forgive brothers and sisters and we could forgive parents and children and friends and family. We could forgive communities. Lord, teach us to forgive. Lord, we also, man... We pray for Central Middle School. Lord, without the mercy of Jesus, I, we're just going to wind up in other places with walls against other people. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would also use us to show a, an ethic of forgiveness. 
Lord, we ask that there would be an experience of your spirit here, that there would be something palatable because we come and we think worshiping you is powerful. Lord, would your spirit stay here? Would you start to draw people to you? Would there be a, a deeper sweetness because your word is preached and because these songs are sung to you? Would you do something miraculous? Lord, we want to trust you. We want to be good stewards. Help us to steward this type of forgiveness. Help us to steward what it means to be partners with a, with a school here. Help us to have wisdom in all that we do. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning for like the fifth time. Uh, but uh, my name is Brandon Williams. I am the director of youth and missions here. Um, and man, before we jump in, I do want to talk about just like, man, if you've been here last week and this week, man, we've celebrated baptisms. We have celebrated now childs being dedicated. And man, those are beautiful things. And those are things I pray and hope, Free City Church, we never see those as normal. Like we celebrate those things and we see those things as God working and being living and active in our church. And so by Casey's prayer, you could definitely tell today we're talking about forgiveness. Um, not one of the greatest things to talk about in our culture right now. And so to set this story a little bit in the context of what's happening, um, Jesus just told the disciples and these people, hey, this is what confrontation looks like. And so now in this middle, we see Peter asking this just like um, this common question. And what Peter's getting at is, what if someone will take advantage of my forgiveness? Or when we think about our, our world today, there's so much evil. There's so many things to be angry about. And that's what Peter's getting at with this question of how can we keep just forgiving when all we can think about is how angry we are? I mean, you just read the news, another mass shooting, another war, more deaths, political division, and it's all of these things, and we're just sitting there, and I don't know about you guys, I just end up getting angry of like, God, where are you? But in the midst, we see this promise of Jesus where he's saying, hey, forgive. And so before we get in, I really want to take some time to spend about what forgiveness is not. Because if we don't know what forgiveness is not, then we're going to have misconceptions about what forgiveness is. So there's three things that, um, according to Tim Keller, he wrote a book on forgiveness. I'm going to use a lot of his stuff here today. Um, but there's three things that he says forgiveness is not. The first thing is cheap grace. That is forgive and forget. There's no space provided and there's no accountability given. That is not biblical forgiveness. And then the next thing we see is this idea of little grace. This is that merit-based forgiveness where, hey, I'm not going to forgive you until you do these things. Once you do these things, then I will forgive you. That's not biblical forgiveness. And then the last one we see is no grace at all. That's the no forgiveness model. Forgiveness is abandoned completely in favor of only justice. And so this is right where our culture is. This is where cancel culture is. 
If you mess up, if you've done wrong, there's no grace, there's no forgiveness, there's a punishment brought down. And honestly, we don't even care about wrongs being made right. We just care about the wrongdoer being destroyed. Punishment is not enough. Justice has to be served and I'm the one who has to serve it. That's no grace. And then sadly, the church has operated for a long time on the other side in cheap grace. The church has often said, if someone wrongs you, man, you got to, you just got to forgive them. You know, if God is in control of your life and you really trust in God, then it should be pretty easy to forgive. And all that leads to is hurt people walking around feeling like their voice doesn't matter. And that's not the forgiveness Jesus is talking about here. And so the actual forgiveness Jesus is talking about here is what I'm going to call costly grace forgiveness. And so um, we have to understand if we're going to forgive somebody, it's going to cost us something. And it's going to cost us whatever the debt of what they did to us is. That's what it's going to cost us. Whatever hold you have over them, that's what forgiveness is going to cost you. The debt they owe, you will have to pay. But my argument is hopefully by the end of it, you'll see that you paying that debt and walking in forgiveness is going to free you immensely from the chains of anger, bitterness, and what happens when we dehumanize people. And so let's set some more foundation for costly grace forgiveness. I really want to spend some time making sure we accurately understand what is and is not forgiveness. And so costly grace forgiveness, um, God has experienced costly grace forgiveness. The reason this is the model of forgiveness is because it was modeled by Jesus. That's how we know. When you look at the life of Jesus, you see this costly grace forgiveness model. Jesus died for a debt he did not owe. Listen to this, he understands the cost of forgiveness and yet he still commands us to do so. He has tasted and seen the cost of forgiveness and he commands us to do so. But also framing it around this, um, there's a, a pastor named Jared Wilson. His job is author in residence. I don't know how you get that job, but it sounds awesome. They pay him to write books. Um, and he came up with this model, and it is gospel safety and time. So if you want to know what is forgiveness, first and foremost, it's the gospel. If you have not been changed by the gospel, I don't know how forgiveness makes sense. And this is why our world is we've abandoned the gospel. We've abandoned forgiveness. Because without the gospel, forgiveness doesn't make sense. Safety. Um, this one can be misconstrued a little bit, but at the end of the day, if someone's in danger, we need to get them out. Um, if someone is in an abusive relationship, then we need to get them to safety. We can't just say, hey, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. There's a safety aspect there. And there's also time. Um, the old adage, time heals all wounds. I bet there's some of you out here who it's been a long time and you feel like maybe time won't heal your wound. And so another Tim Keller, just like kind of pushing these ideas together. Tim Keller says it starts with vertical forgiveness. So God down to you, God has forgiven you in Christ. 
And what that's going to do is internally work in you a desire um, to accept that forgiveness. So God initiates this idea of, man, I need a savior. I need forgiveness. And there's an internal um, decision that has to be made to accept forgiveness. And then that externally radiates out to where we forgive others. So vertical goes into internal, and then that's going to radiate outward into external. Um, And what I simply mean by that is the decision to forgive will always come before the action of forgiveness. You have to decide you're going to forgive before you can walk in forgiveness. Another thing about costly grace forgiveness, we have to start from understanding that our view of justice is always going to be at least distorted. And it's always at least going to be motivated by selfishness. We have to start there. C.S. Lewis in his Space Trilogy, he has this quote about the human condition. And he says this, Everything we experience are gleams of celestial strength and beauty falling on a jungle of filth and imbecility. So even our best attempt at justice is just a gleamer of what true justice is. And then that's falling on top of our broken minds. So we have to start there of even our idea of justice is going to be a little bit distorted at least. And then the last thing, bad counsel. When someone says, man, God's in control. It's not enough to know God is sovereign. It's cold comfort if we don't know that God also loves and that God loves us. He cares. He weeps for and with us. Wrongs upset him because his children are hurt. And if he is a good, good father, then he does not delight in his children being hurt. So Jesus is in control, but he also, he loves us. And so now we have this this foundation of what forgiveness is and what it is not. And now we can go forward with what Jesus is talking about here. And so we're going to look at four points. We're going to look at the debt of sin. We're going to have to acknowledge our debt. We're going to have to acknowledge that there's a price for not forgiving. And then we're going to look at the hope that is specifically and only found in costly grace forgiveness. So the debt of our sin, we acknowledge that debt, the price of not forgiving, and the hope of costly grace forgiveness. Um, I'm going to pray. We always end, I always end up praying for the sermon twice. Um, but if you were married to me, then you would understand that I need a lot of prayer. Um, so uh, Jesus, thank you. Um, And we're going to look at the fact that you have modeled forgiveness. You know the cost. So when you call us to forgive, you're not some distant um, being that looks down and tells us what to do. You've walked. You've seen. You've felt the weight um, of our sin. And at the end of it, you chose to forgive us. And so, Jesus, as we acknowledge that, let that radiate inside of us. And then it just goes out into the world. And as we'll see, we are redeemers on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's get back to the text, the first point, the debt of sin. Um, So we look at Peter's question. So if you look at verse 21, Peter comes up and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? Notice, if you're in community, brother, if you're in community, sister, people are going to sin against you. We are people. We are messed up. Um, If you're in Citigroup or LTG or in church, your people are going to hurt you. I'm sorry, we're messed up people. But we'll see confrontation, forgiveness, why this is important. And then he says, and I forgive him. So how many times will he sin against me and I forgive him? Peter says, as many as seven times. Um, if, uh, 
If you don't know anything about this culture, man, the customary um, allowance for forgiveness was three times. After the third time, you were completely justified to say, you know what, I'm done with this person. So Peter's actually being really gracious here. Gracious here. He's like, hey, I'll double it and add some. Uh, I'll say seven. Um, seven times that I'll forgive somebody, Jesus. And Jesus then gives this crazy answer. He says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And so um, I, there's a few translations that are going to say 70 times seven. And so whether it's 77 or 490, um, this, this language is hyperbole, hyperbole, that's it, hyperbole. Um, it's not a calculation. So Jesus isn't saying, hey, once you get to 77 or 490, then you're good to let them go. Jesus is saying forgiveness goes all the way to the top. And what Jesus is saying even deeper here, he's saying, if you're still counting, then you're not forgiving. Forgiveness has no tally for keeping wrongs. So if you're still counting, you're not forgiving. And so in Luke 17, uh, Jesus also says this in verses three and four. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So there's just a process here that Jesus gives us. He says, confront, call to repentance, forgive. Confrontation and forgiveness are equally set before to say, hey, if you're going to go confront, you have to be in a heart place that you're willing to forgive. Jared Wilson has this beautiful quote. He says in confrontation, we don't want to win the argument. We want to win the person. We don't want to win the argument. We want to win the person. And how do you win people? You forgive them. We're going to talk about that more later. And so the debt of sin. So here we see two different debts. We see 10,000 talents and 100 denarii. And so um, some context to this. A talent, that's about 15 to 20 years wages, depending on who you read um, talking about this. So it is a lot of years salary. Not many of us have one year of salary sitting in the bank, let alone 15 to 20 years. And so just to give a little more, so uh, a talent was the greatest denomination and 10,000 is the highest number associated with a word in the Greek al alphabet. So once again, it's hyperbole. It's not just um, calculation, but he's saying the biggest denomination of currency you can think of at the highest number we have a word for, that's how big this debt is. And then you multiply it together. Um, some people say this would be greater than 80% of the world's GDP. Um, that's how big of a number this is. Um, uh, if you don't know what GDP is, take an economics class. Um, I am not an economics teacher. Uh, and so here we see um, the servant in verse 26. He says, so the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. That is a ludicrous idea for him to say, I will pay you everything. I will pay you tens of thousands of years of salary. I'll pay you, and he says, everything. And then on the other side, um, we see a, a, a denarii, which is about a, a, a hundred, or about a day's wage. So a hundred here um, is about a hundred days wage, which is still a lot of money. Or if you think about how much you make in a day, a hundred days wage, that's not something we're just willing to fork over. That's not something we just have. 
But he's a little more realistic here. He says, I will pay back. But he doesn't say everything. He says, I will pay back. So he sees two different debts here. And at the end of it, what Jesus is trying to get us to understand, there's a really, really big debt and there's a more manageable debt. But at the end of the day, they're both debts and neither one of the servants have the ability to pay them back. And so what we see here is there's a day of settling. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So what is the kingdom of heaven like? There's an aspect of where there is a master who will come to settle accounts. And so even in this crazy concept idea story, this guy, if you had enough lifetime of years, you could pay it back. He doesn't, but if you did, you could pay it back. The problem is our debt, we can't simply work or pay off with human money. We fall into the 10,000 talents category. There's nothing we could ever do to pay that back. The problem is when our master comes calling, our payment's death. For the wages of sin is death. So that's the first point, the debt of sin. And so next comes the harder part. Uh, that's acknowledging our debt. And so um, you have to be humble to acknowledge your debt. It is nearly, it is impossible for a prideful person to get into the kingdom of heaven. If you don't acknowledge that you have a debt, then you don't acknowledge you have a need for a savior. And so when we're thinking about other people here, um, we have to first start with where we are. We are sinners, we are broken. And so changing your view of others begins with not hoping for what they deserve, but hoping for what they don't deserve. Because this is what you and I've got, a love you didn't deserve. So that's the first step. You acknowledge your debt, you see yourself as a sinner. And what that's gonna do is you're gonna change the way you see other people. You're gonna look at other people and say, man, I'm messed up too. I'm not better than you. I'm not like this servant who brings judgment and wrath. I'm just like you. I have a debt I can't pay back either. And so the next thing we have to acknowledge is that we're not the master in this story. Uh, I heard a pastor say one time, if you always uh, identify with the hero of the story, you're probably reading the story wrong. Um, and so if you identify with the hero of this story, the master, um, you're probably reading it wrong. That is God. He is the one who truly and solely can offer forgiveness. Once we do this, we realize we need saving as well. Even though we are wronged, we need saving also. Amen. while we are the servant, some of us have tasted and seen the goodness of Jesus' forgiveness. But there's a problem that if you start reading in Genesis, you see all throughout. It's that people forget. We forget. We let anger drive us, not compassion. We treat others infinitely short of the grace, gracious mercy with which God has shown us. When we look at the extraordinary cost of forgiving someone, not many of us are willing to jump at the front of the line and say, sign me up for that. And yet this is the whole point of this passage. The evidence of a forgiven heart is forgiveness shown. How do you know you've been forgiven? their desire to work towards and forgive others. 
And then lastly, we see in this passage, probably one of the most heartbreaking parts of the passage in verse 25. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children. Our sin affects other people. In this story, the families of the servant are affected by the debts of their father. We have to verbalize sin's most devious lie that, hey, your sin won't affect other people. What you do in the dark, no one will find out about. And I want to tell you, that's a lie from hell. Our sin, even in the dark, will destroy and harden your heart. And that's going to radiate and destroy every relationship around you. Just like here, this servant probably thought, man, I know the debt's big. I know the debt's big. One, I'm never going to have to settle the debt. He's never going to come. But two, man, if he does, it'll just affect me. And so we also see this in the book of Exodus. The hardening of Pharaoh's heart led to plagues and death. His sin affected other people. Your sin, my sin, affects other people. And it's often the people that are so close to you that you love so dearly that are affected by your sin. So whatever sin popped in your head as I'm thinking about that, I urge you to deal with that. Take it to Jesus. Don't let it destroy your life or the lives of the people around you. And so now we get to our third point. And there's a price for not forgiving. The price of not forgiving um, we need to be forgiven, and so that radiates internally, externally to we need to forgive. And so what is the um, antithesis of forgiveness? It's anger. It's bitterness. It's um, this idea that we can dehumanize people to make them less than us. Even though we're equal, we can make them less than us. Um, the old adage is anger is like taking a poison pill every day thinking it will kill the other person. So if you think the anger in your heart is not affecting you, it is. And so um, this next slide is going to have, we're just going to kind of um, juxtapose forgiveness and anger. Um, forgiveness brings reconciliation. Anger brings distance. Forgiveness humanizes while anger dehumanizes. Forgiveness costs you. Anger is going to cost you way more. Forgiveness is giving up the right for revenge. Anger demands revenge. Forgiveness is judgment in love. Anger is simply judgment. Forgiveness will always end with hope. Hope of reconciliation. And what we see in the Bible is anger ends with murder. And man, when we look at this story, this parable of Jesus, the cost of not forgiving is actually worse than um, the original cost. So in the beginning in verse 25, he says the, for the wages of them not, or for him not being able to pay back this debt is that he's going to be sold. Well, then you look at verse 34 and it changes. After the um, master has heard from other servants about the sin that was not forgiven, this debt that was not forgiven, then the master comes back and he says, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. So the original cost of not forgiving was actually worse. He was taken from 
being sold to now he's going into prison where he's going to be, he and his family are going to be for the rest of their life. There's no way that they could work their way out. There's no way that they could earn any wage to pay off any of their debt. And so not forgiving is the same for us. Bitterness and anger will take us to a prison we could never imagine. And so I have to stop here and I have to ask, where are you angry or bitter? Who are you angry and bitter with or at? Um, Some of you are angry and bitter at yourselves. I implore you, man, if Jesus forgave you, you can forgive yourself. Don't hold your definition of forgiveness higher than what God has said to us. And then lastly, some of you are at a place I was for a lot of my um, 18 to about 23. Um, Man, I was angry at God. And if you think being angry at God won't lead to bitterness and anger in your heart, you're wrong. Man, I saw two of my best friend's parents die of cancer. Um, I saw one of my best friends commit suicide. Um, I saw my family deal with the effects of dementia on my grandmother. And uh, man, I was so angry, so angry. And I looked at God and I was like, how can you be here? Why would you be here? Why would you let this happen? And what we'll see is, man, I believe the whole time God's heart was broken also. He was looking at me saying he was never supposed to be this way. And so the price of not forgiving is costly as well. Whether it's at another person, whether it's at yourself, whether it's at God, there's a debt that comes with not forgiving. Um, In June, 2015, uh, a young man walked into, a a young white man walked into a predominantly African-American church in Charleston, South Carolina. And he wanted to join them for Bible study. And they thought it was a little weird, like, oh, man, never seen one of you, you guys in here. Um, and they, but they were so welcoming, and they let him in. And at the end of it, um, he pulls out a gun and murders nine of those in attendance. And later we learned that he was hoping to start a race war. And so at the trial, a commonality struck the courtroom. Each person who attended the Bible study stood up before him, And they said three words, I forgive you. One daughter named Nadine Collier said, you took something very precious from me, my mother, and I will never talk to her again. I will never hold her again, but I forgive you. A sister of another victim stood before the shooter and said, I acknowledge I am very angry. But my sister taught me, we are a family built on love. We have no room for hating, so we have to forgive you. And I pray God has mercy on your soul. So this family saw the price of not forgiving as too costly to stay angry. They forgive and they forgave because there is freedom found in forgiving. But notice also, It's not cheap grace. They acknowledge what you did was wrong. They confront the wrong done. The difference is it ends with forgiveness, not anger. 
So what is forgiveness? It's laying down your right for judgment and anger. It's showing mercy because you have been shown mercy. And it's acknowledging there's a cost, but I'm going to pay it. I'm going to pay it for you because my cost was paid for me. And so, man, this leads straight into our last point, the hope of costly grace forgiveness. If there's no hope in this type of forgiveness, then there's nothing to bring about. And man, I just want to look at some biblical examples. Um, The apostle Paul, man, he was murdering Christians. Imagine heaven's embrace. Imagine the Christians he murdered and allowed to be murdered, embracing him as he walked into the gates of heaven. Imagine Stephen, who was stoned to death in the approval of Paul, embracing Paul as he walks into heaven. Or maybe the most famous, imagine Joseph. If you don't know about Joseph, we're going to do a quick recap. Um, Joseph was the youngest of 12 sons, and his father loved him more. And that's not right. Um, If you have multiple kids, love them the same. Um, But the father loved him more, and all of his brothers, they were so bitter and angry that they came up with this plan. And at first they were like, we're going to kill this dude. We're going to smoke him. Um, But then, like, cooler heads arise. And um, what happens is they're like, we should sell him. At least we'll get some money. And so, man, they throw him into this pit. And as he's screaming for mercy and they're waiting for slaveholders to come, they're eating their meal. As their brother is crying out for mercy, they're eating their meal. And then through Joseph's life, there's up and downs. He's always been righteous, but he's never been treated right. Um, and so then finally he gets, uh, arises to this like prime minister power where the Pharaoh looks upon him and has favor upon him. And what we see is that Joseph's actually really wise and he helps prepare the people for a famine that's coming so that he can save the lives of the people. And so during this time, it's been about 20 years since his brothers initially sold him. They come because the famine strikes and they have no food and they don't, they don't recognize Joseph, but they fall down and like have mercy on us. And then it gets a little weird where uh, Joseph's like, hey, aren't you missing somebody? And they're like, yeah, we got a younger brother, but our father loves him too much to send him on a journey. And Joseph's like, ah, bring him back. So he sends them with some food and then about two years go by and then they, all the brothers come back because they need more food. They need provision. And this time they bring all the brothers. And it's so beautiful what Joseph does. The moment they're all back, he can bring back justice. He can throw them into the pit and eat his meal watching them. But what does he do? If you know the story, he invites them to the table. He doesn't say you're going to watch me eat. He says, we're going to eat together like a family. And so through this, um, there's a cup that is stolen and it turns out the youngest brother stole it. So then all the brothers are back in front of Joseph and what the price decided on was whoever stole it, I'm not gonna imprison everybody. Whoever stole it, I'm gonna imprison them. They're gonna become my servant. And it just happens to turn out they found it on the youngest brother the new pride of the father, the new Joseph. And so Judah, who is the leader, the strongest leader, the oldest brother, he has an opportunity. He sat by and let Joseph be sold into slavery. 
he can stand by and let the youngest brother now be sold into slavery um, to the prime minister. But what Judah does is Judah offers himself up. He says, my father cannot take losing another son. And so what changed Judah's heart? It was Joseph's forgiveness, not Joseph's judgment. So through Joseph forgiving the debts of his brothers, we see Judah's heart changed. He no longer stands by and lets the brother be sold in. He then stands up in and says, no, take me instead. I can't see or know about my father hurting again. And Joseph responds with weeping. And then Joseph reveals himself. He's like, hey, I'm the younger brother. And then he assures them, even in this moment when they're shocked and they're like, oh my gosh, you've been so good to us. You've been so faithful to us. You should bring judgment. We deserve it. Joseph says, you did not send me here, but God did to preserve lives. And so later in Genesis 50, man, at this point, um, their father has died and Joseph's broken and the brothers now are scared. They're like, oh man, Joseph's going to bring judgment again. Our father's gone. The mercy's gone. We got to lie to him. So they come up with this lie that the father said, hey, you got to forgive them. And Joseph, they come and they tell him this lie and he weeps because he knows the father didn't say that. And he says this, fear not. Am I in the place of God? I'm not going to bring judgment. That's not my job. As for you, you meant for evil against me, but God meant it for good. See, Jesus is asking us to do what Joseph did. Joseph was a redeemer on this earth. The debts his brother had owed him, he forgave. Man, I can't imagine him being in prison, um, being falsely accused of so many things, being sold as a slave. There's a debt that he was carrying that was like, man, they owe me. But he lets it go. And he says, no, that's not my job to judge you. And through that, Judah's heart was changed. Joseph could be a vessel of life change for thousands because he forgave those who wronged him. And so if you're sitting there in your seat and you're like, man, I just don't know how all this fits together. Man, all I say is you have to see God clearly. Um, There's a woman named Rachel um, Dollenhander. She's a former gymnast. She's also a Christian. And if you know the name, um, then you know she was the first woman to come out and publicly accuse Larry Nassar of sexual assault. She paved the way for hundreds of other young women to come and say, he sexually assaulted me also. And in, his mem- in her memoir, What is a Girl Worth? She says this, I did want to forgive Larry Nassar, but I didn't want my forgiveness to be used as an excuse to act as if something terrible really wasn't that bad. The Christian counsel she received stated, you haven't really forgiven and trusted until you can be thankful for the evil done to you. It's terrible counsel. She responded by wanting to remove God altogether. If this is the advice these Christians are giving me, I don't want any part of God. Yet she said removing God made the evil that much worse. 
She found peace in knowing God who is angered by injustice and unrighteous actions. In the courtroom, she stands before Larry Nasser and she says this, I pray you experience the soul crushing weight of the guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. So through seeing the gospel correctly, Rachel was able, or, uh, yeah, Rachel was able to see God as a God who deals with injustice and unrighteousness. But it's the same God who offers forgiveness and promises to right the wrongs. He's saying, I'm not standing by just letting this stuff happen. I'm telling you, one day it's going to be made right. It's just not you that's going to make it right. Through this correct view of God, she was able to stand before the man who sexually assaulted her and call him to repentance. She was able to forgive. She was able to have hope. And so, man, we see the gospel on display because just like here, the master, man, 10,000 talents, that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And he, when he forgives, what he's saying is, I'm not going to get that money. And he's showing compassion and mercy. And this is the exact picture of God with us. We can never pay it back. Even in thousands and thousands and hundreds of millions of lifetimes, we could never pay back our debt to God. The truth of the gospel is we bring failure, failure, and failure. And God brings love, love, love. And though this is our sin acknowledged, there's a subtle reminder that, hey, we are to be like the master. We aren't the master, but we are to be like the master. And when we're looking at the hope that is found in costly grace forgiveness, what we see here is that God didn't lose money with us. God lost his son. He didn't lose money. Jared Wilson says, the cross is the intersection of grace and justice because it is where sin was punished and in doing so the mercy of God was poured out onto sinners. This is why at the cross Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. He acknowledges what they're doing is wrong. But at the same breath, he says, Father, forgive them. Don't hold it against them. Let me pay the debt. And as with Joseph, what Satan meant for evil, division, and attack, God meant for good. Man, we see on the, the cross, what Satan meant for evil, the death of Jesus, God meant for good. Take it a step further. What Satan meant for the most evil that could happen in our life, death. Death is the moment where sinners who are not reconciled are eternally separated from God. What Satan can do, the most evil thing he can do, God meant for good. Because if you are found in Christ, that is when you are closer to God for the rest of eternity. What Satan meant to completely separate, God used for good to completely come together. Forgiveness is fighting Satan's advancement of his evil kingdom through wrongful acts and identifying with God's kingdom as a fellow redeemer like Joseph. And so I go back to some of you who are angry at God. Man, him, as we see with Joseph's life, him making wrongs right took time. 
And last, the hardest thing about forgiveness, and I wrestled with this of how to say this, but we have to forgive unrepentant people. And that's the hardest part. Romans 5, 8 says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we were repentant, Christ died for us. So there's an aspect of we are going to have to forgive people who aren't repentant in hopes that they would repent through seeing our forgiveness extended. We will have to reconcile those who won't admit fault or acknowledge the hurt they have caused. And guys, this step, for you to forgive somebody, it doesn't mean you have to go look them in the eyes and say, I forgive you. Sometimes that's not a good thing to do. Forgiveness is an internal work that will become external. But sometimes we need to forgive and let safety and time have its place and be reconcilers. And so as we close, um, the sad truth about when someone wrongs you or hurts you is you are now chained to whatever they did to you. You are chained to the debt, the weight that they should have to pay back, but you're the one who is chained to it, even though you're not the one who caused it. And so if we don't deal with the chain, next thing that's happened, we're going to be swinging it around, keeping people at a distance. Don't come close to me. You don't know what was done to me. Um, I was hurt. Look at this debt. Look what happened to me. Stay away. Sometimes we might even bring people in and we end up choking them with the very chain Sometimes we just subtly shake it and we're just like, you don't know what happened to me. I could never forgive. We're just shaking it, letting everyone else know, look what happened. And so hopefully you see it by now. The truth of the gospel is Jesus wants to break that chain. He wants to free you from that anger, that bitterness. He wants you to see his creation for what they are the same broken sinner that you are that needs redemption. The difference is like Joseph, God wants us um, to be small redeemers here on this earth. The expansion of the kingdom of God is through smaller people making big kingdom impact through words and actions. Forgiveness is a foreign idea in our culture. And when people are, when they experience it, they're changed like Judah once he experienced the forgiveness of his brother, he was changed. Like many of you, if you've experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, you're changed. Now go be a part of others' lives and be a redeemer on this earth. And so we end every, every week with um, communion. And I know this is the time to pack up and you like wrestle around. I ask you not to do that. Yeah, I, please. Um, man, I really want you to sit and think. Um, man, the purpose of communion is a reminder of a body broken and a blood shed so that you could have forgiveness for what you have done. And so when you come down here, let that weight sit on your heart of you are forgiven. And it was paid with a cost. A body broken and blood shed, literal death occurred so that you could have life, so that I could have life. So when you dip that bread in that wine or that grape juice, man, think of it. Let the weight sit on you. This is important. This is the food I need every single day this week. More than I need any food or drink, I need the body and blood of Christ. 
And man, if you're not a Christian um, or you're wrestling with this, we ask you to stay seated and I want you to wrestle with that. What can you not forgive yourself for? What can you not forgive others for? And then I ask you to just think, what if God forgave you for the worst things you've ever done? What if he's not keeping a tally? And man, I pray that that stirs in you the Holy Spirit where you say, I want that. I don't want to be angry and bitter anymore. And finally, if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, I don't even know where to start. I hear you. I hear you up there with the mic. I hear what you're saying, but I don't know where to start. This chain's too long and it's too heavy. Man, we're going to have people behind the black curtains that would love to pray for you. Go grab them. You don't have to know them. Tell them as much as you want, as little as you want. Start the forgiveness process now. Accept Jesus' forgiveness. He's shown to you. Let that work inside of you that you have a desire to go forgive and then go be a redeemer. Let us pray. Man, God, I'm, I'm humbled. Oh, man, I think about who I am and man, God, I'm just evidence that you can use anybody. Um, and so God, I pray that in my heart where I'm hardened or angry or bitter that you would rise in me who I need to forgive God, I pray that for these people in here. Lord, whether it's forgiving others, forgiving themselves, forgiving God, um, forgiving you, whoever, whoever they need to forgive. Um, God, if you work all things together for good, then who better for us to trust with our lives? Jesus, use us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas, please visit our website at fcclawrence.com.